From the Center for Strategic and International Studies, this is Citizens in Training, a podcast about the unlikely story of the United Arab Emirates military conscription program. I'm John Alterman, a senior vice president here at CSIS, the Zbigniew Brzezinski Chair in Global Security and Geostrategy and director of the Middle East Program. And I'm Margot Balboni, a research associate in the Middle East Program. Last week on the podcast, we heard from Dr. Calvert Jones, an assistant professor of government and politics at the University of Maryland. Callie talked about the unintended consequences that at times arise from social engineering efforts. In particular, she described the unexpected rise in the UAE of a phenomenon she's dubbed the Entitled Patriot. Today, I'm talking to Dave DeRoche. Dave is an associate professor at the Near East South Asia Center for Security Studies. He previously served as the Director for Defense Policy in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. His country profiles included Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, Oman, Yemen, and the UAE. Dave is also a former Army Ranger who served on the U.S. Special Operations Command Staff. We brought Dave onto the podcast because of his breadth of experience working with U.S. and Gulf militaries. Drawing on that expertise, Dave lays out the military case for and against conscription in 21st century warfare. He tells us that maintaining readiness through a reserve force is a long-term commitment, not only for conscripted personnel, but also for societies and economies. Like Callie, Dave knows that a military conscription program can also have unintended consequences. When it comes to the outlook for the UAE program, he says a lot will boil down to implementation. Flawed execution could lead efforts at greater national unity, for example, to backfire. And as we've discussed earlier on the podcast, the UAE program sets its sights not only on military readiness, but also on civic and economic outcomes. We were excited to talk to an expert about the complex ways that conscription interacts with societies in practice. As somebody who's served in the U.S. military, you've worked with people in other militaries, how do you think about civil-military relations when you're trying to transmit civic ideals through military instruments? Does that give it a certain spin? Does it have advantages and disadvantages in your mind? Yeah. It, I tell you, it's, it, in theory, it can be an effective um, vehicle for transmitting national values. Um, in theory, but it it all comes down to how it works in practice. And if you have conscription and it's poorly implemented, you actually set back the cause of national integration, the building of a national identity. Compare, say, the U.S. military experience with conscription in World War II, where it was widely felt that everybody went into battle. Even in Korea, where everybody was conscripted, Compare it with Vietnam when there was a system of exemptions. Um, look at, for example, the uh, issue in the uh, 2000 presidential campaign when it was found that Al Gore um, had served as a journalist, not as an infantryman. I was an army reporter in Vietnam. When I was there, I didn't do the most or run the gravest danger, but I was proud to wear my country's uniform. The pictures that he distributed of him holding a rifle seem to imply otherwise. If you see this, if you see members of certain tribes or groups that are doing office work and others that are filling sandbags, it can be a negative experience. The analogy I look at is the um, 
it's not very scholarly, but during the Great Depression in the 1930s, if you compare the Canadian experience with the American experience, the Works Progress Administration, for many Americans, that was a formative experience and it was viewed as a positive experience. One by one, it took us out of the bread line. It gave us a new chance to take a normal place in the life of our community. It was viewed as something that brought together people of different backgrounds and in a time of extreme dire and helped forge a national identity. In Canada, where it was poorly implemented, poorly planned, a similar program was seen as conscripted labor. And it was almost seen as, as a fracturing experience in the national consensus. Does transmitting ideas about citizenship through the military have advantages and disadvantages in your mind? What we've heard about the, the experience of national service in the UAE is that, by and large, it's positive because one thing that you have to do with soldiers is leaders have to explain themselves to soldiers. And normally in the Gulf, senior people don't explain themselves to common people. So you've already kind of um, pushed aside uh, a paradigm of rule there. That does have the potential for a positive experience. What do you think a, a conscripted military would realistically be able to to do in the context of the Emirati program that we describe in the report. It's mostly people spending a year, there's a little bit of basic training, a, a little bit of a, a sort of internship. Is that enough to give you a base as a, as a military construct? In strictly military terms, short service conscription is not really appropriate to modern warfare. It's more appropriate to a World War One, World War II level of industrialized warfare where you need to have um, you know, pre-mechanized stuff where soldiers manually offloaded bales of bags of flour from ships and stuff like that. Then one year of national service is effective and productive. But modern warfare where things are mechanized, where soldiers have to be trained for months, um, I think it's three months for a U.S. infantryman from the point of recruitment until he gets shipped out to his unit. So that's a quarter of the period of national conscription for an infantryman who is widely inappropriately, I would argue, but widely seen as one of the least trained um, components of a modern armed force. Dave sees an effective reservist force as the UAE's best bet at reaping a military dividend from conscription. Yet he knows that maintaining a battle-ready reserve comes at a cost. Training and call-ups cause disruptions to personnel as well as their families, employers, and schools. Here's Dave on building a conscription society. There's two models you can look at, and the UAE quite rightly looked at uh, Finland, which I think is one of the most successful uh, models of sort of a short-term national conscription, also facing an overwhelming threat. Russian irredentism is still active. The Russians still claim that they didn't get parts of Finland they should have got in 1940. Um, so... Uh, uh, what you see there, though, is uh, uh, the Finns have f uh, taught people how to fight in a general defense in depth in a very um, restrictive terrain, and they take the conscripts, and then the conscripts go into a reserve force. Swiss do the same thing, more or less, but again, you're on very restrictive terrain, mountains and things of that nature. So the UAE, what they can do is build a... Um, a common base that can then be employed, but if it's really to be effective, they need to take uh, a model as the study notes. They need to take a page from either the Finns or the Israelis, where you do your conscription, but then you go into the reserve component. And those reserve components have to be mobilized fairly frequently. And in order to do that, that requires, um, and the UAE I think does do this, it requires them to have a 
overall civic and business culture that values military participation in national service and is willing to make allowances for frequent absences. The advantage the UAE has is um, a lot of the business there is either directly um, dependent on the government or one step removed from the government. So if the government is serious about national service, they can create a climate in which business is willing to accept and promote national service. It's much easier in the UAE, which is sort of a semi, you know, a rentier state than it is in the United States or in Britain. Well, and of course you have a, a, a strong majority of the, of the national population works for the government to start with. It's exactly. much easier for the government to give people uh, exactly. permission to leave than it is for a private sector company. Exactly. Although you have to assume that, um, you know, in my career as an Army Reserve officer, occasionally I found myself kind of doing the same work in both jobs and having to leave essentially the same work as a civilian to go do it as a military officer. So, so it requires some management. In the full Citizens and Training report, we delve further into questions about how the UAE's draft could impact its labor market. This includes the leadership's ambitions to nudge Emiratis away from government employment and towards the private sector as part of its move towards a post-oil economy. We also consider potential tensions or trade-offs the UAE may face in simultaneously pursuing a wide array of goals for their national service program. Their ambitions span from national cohesion to workforce development, public health, emergency preparedness, and national security. I asked Dave which objectives he thinks the UAE program stands the greatest chance of clearing. I also asked which ones he thinks are most likely to remain elusive. Assuming effective implementation, the transmittal of a civic identity, of a national civic identity, is probably going to be the first benefit because it really is a national institution that people come into contact with that doesn't give them something that isn't like getting a driver's license. It, it does have the potential to forge a national identity as World War II service tended to do in the United States or, or uh, Britain. The second uh, benefit, I think, would be deterring Iran. Deterrence is a complex psychological dance that is just as dependent on the state of mind of the party being deterred as anything physically that's going on the ground. And I think that if they can dispel this notion that they're just a nation of diabetic mall goers, that is a good thing. And that does have a deterrent effect and it shows a level of seriousness. If you have, for example, a reserve artillery unit that's firing artillery, that's something for people to look at. So that's the second effective one. The uh, third uh, most effective, I think, capability will be building actual military capacity. With a one-year conscription period, you just don't have the ability to do that. You just don't have the ability to do that effectively in modern warfare. And I, I think that, you know, if I were in charge, I would, I would insist on at least two years. And the extra year that a non-high school graduate gets, I would devote to some sort of literacy training and also to practical training. Like the British Army has an apprentice school where they literally have a regiment that teaches people how to be plumbers and stuff on military basis and deploy things. And that would be good for these guys because uh, non-educated conscripts would then find themselves with a path towards going into the regular armed forces, which I think would be good. And that would help with resiliency uh, if there is a, an actual conflict. You know, all the third national plumbers and taxi drivers and people who are semi-skilled or partially skilled, they're all going to leave. And the UAE is going to be left with Without that. So it would be good for the UAE to have that core of it. And then finally, I think the fourth uh, and least likely thing to achieve is this goal of toughening up the population. That, that has to come from within. And, you know, you can yell at a person and harass them for a year, but, uh, you know, you're just as likely to get, oh, thank God that's over. I'm going to drink beer every night reaction than you are to, okay, now I'm going to move along the straight and narrow. 
Next week on Citizens in Training, we'll cross the Atlantic and look at how some European nations have maintained or recently reintroduced military conscription. We'll talk to Elizabeth Braugh, a NATO expert and non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. She's also a former journalist who followed Nordic models of conscription, including the Finnish model that the UAE studied in designing its own initiative. We hope you tune in next week. You can read more about the UAE's conscription program in the full Citizens in Training report produced by the Middle East Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CSIS, as we like to call ourselves. You can find it along with a two-page executive summary at www.csis.org slash UAE conscription. If this is your first time listening to this series, don't forget to subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, share it with your friends and colleagues, and let them know about this mini-series too. Let us know what you think by tweeting us at CSIS Mideast.